Hello, people of the way. If you have your Bible, please open up to 2 Corinthians chapter 13. 2 Corinthians chapter 13. Now, do you remember for the past two weeks in chapter 11 and chapter 12 how Paul, he began to boast. And it's not a bad boasting. Remember in, in chapter 11, uh, he says in verse 18, he says, seeing that many boast according to the flesh, I also will boast. So there was this problem that was happening in Corinth within the remnant of the, the, the flesh starting to percolate, uh, perhaps a little more than it should have. And it's so beautiful because you see Paul, he gets on a little, not self-exaltation, but he gets on a little platform. Now, I'll give you an example. I'm going to paint a picture here. Say you and me. We get in a time machine, we go back to the church in Corinth, we become Christians in Acts 18. Now, remember, 1 Corinthians, there's that three years. And then 2 Corinthians, there's the second set of three years. But in the first set, we were under arrested development. There was no growth. It was like we were in first grade. And then in the second year, instead of being in second grade, and in the third year, instead of being in third grade, the second year, we were still in first grade. The third year, we're still in first grade. Now, because of that lack of growth, what do you see in the church? First Corinthians, you see the works of the flesh and abundance of the works of the flesh, but not just the works of the flesh. You see, leaven. Leaven came into the church and that's where there was the separation that Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 or chapter 5. You know, anybody named a brother involved with all kinds of works of the flesh, separate from such a one, such a person. Because it is leaven in the bunch. He says your rejoicing isn't good. Okay, so remember that first set of three years in 1 Corinthians, there was no growth. And so the second set of three years, which is Second Corinthians, now there's we're in our the continuing year, but we're still we've been held back a couple years because we were in first grade for too long. So now we have to learn second grade again, third grade again, and now we have to get over this hump where we desire to be fourth graders. Now I'm speaking academically in these grade terms. But spiritually speaking, the same concept applies. Now, you and me, because we've gone back in our time machine, we're so desperate to go into fourth grade. We've learned our the error of our ways. Say, for example, we became Christians in Acts 18. As a result of Paul, we acknowledge, as a result of the Lord using vessel Paul, but we acknowledge Paul as our spiritual father. Okay, because he's poured into us. Remember in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, you know, Paul says, you guys have 10,000 teachers. 10,000 teachers. Now say that's you and me. We're in this environment in Corinth. We're so desperate to become fourth graders. We're stuck in third grade. We've been stuck in the, these elementary stages for a long time. And we want, we're so desperate to become more mature in Christ. But look at the environment that we're in. Look at our environment. We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 or chapter 4. Paul says, you guys have 10,000 teachers. Now, how that translates is baby teachers, like preschool teachers. Now, I don't know if he was, there might have been actually 10,000 teachers 
Or he might, you know how like sometimes you're hungry. You're like, I'm so hungry. I can eat a horse. Well, you're not going to eat a horse, but you might eat a big fat steak, you know, or a big fat pork chop and a whole bunch of mashed potatoes and corn and gravy because you're so hungry. You could eat a horse and you're not going to eat a horse, but you're super duper hungry. Now, same concept. Well, there might have been 10,000 teachers, but maybe there was 500. Maybe there was 1,000, but Paul was, it was just kind of like, yeah, you guys, you know, yeah, like, like the hungry, I could eat a horse type of concept. Now, in this plethora of teachers, yes, they're teachers, but they're preschool teachers. They're baby teachers. They're teachers on the very elementary things. And when I say the very elementary things, look at the works of the flesh that were in Corinth. Why did the why did this 1 Corinthians chapter 5 have to even happen? You see, the leaven. Why did it get to that point? Now, you see these 10,000 baby teachers and at the same time, defunct leadership. You know, defunct leadership, defunct pastors, defunct elders, defunct leadership. And it came at a very heavy cost because look at the toll it took on the church. This great divide that had to happen. The separation from the uh, uh, the righteous from the workers of iniquity. The separation from the, the, the bunch and the separation away from the leaven. You see, away from the leaven. Now, it's not to say that the leaven is going to burn in hell. They can if they didn't repent. They can, depending on the works of the flesh, if they leave grace and enter the law and then refuse the tutor. That's not good. It's quite possible for those individuals to, if they just abandon the Lord, become apostate, then yes, they're subject to the second death. But when we say this separation from the leaven, you know, this leaven, it's not to say that they're going to burn in hell, but they are outside the camp. The exact same way we see leprosy in the camp of Israel in the Old Testament. The exact same concept because it is unholy. It is unclean. And anything unclean needs to be cleansed. Same concept. Same thing for you and me today. Anytime there's this moment of uncleanliness, we need to be cleansed. We need to be clean. You know, <clears throat> Parents, parents tell their kids to take a bath. Parents tell, tell their kids to take a shower. Rightfully so, because after a couple days, the kid's going to get pretty funky. After a couple days, an adult is going to get even more funky and nasty and stinky and all kinds of filth. But when the child grows, that person doesn't need a parent to say, hey, take a bath because take a shower because the shower is done. It's almost like an involuntary action because you don't desire to be stinky. You don't desire to be funky. But the same thing applies spiritually speaking. You see, it's the parents that tell the kids, hey, take a shower, take a shower, take a bath, take a bath. And in some cases, the, you know, depending on if the kid is really young, the parent bathes the child. And that's what's so beautiful when you see this growth in the in the church in Corinth because you see Paul as a parent cleansing the child, cleansing the children, the baby saints, but then reminding them, okay, you need to repent, you need to repent. And then at the, all of a sudden when we get to these latter chapters of 2 Corinthians, you see this exhortation, hey, this is for you to do now. Do this yourselves now. And so in my example where you and me, we go back in our time machine, we're so desperate to, to grow and mature and look at the environment, look at the landscape of 
I'm doing my air quotes here, but look at the landscape of teachers. We have the defunct pastors, the defunct elders that we've already been exposed to, and we've seen at what a heavy cost it's come. Not only that, but we have 10,000 baby teachers. But then we also have the spiritual father in Paul. And Paul speaks of his birth canal. Like, I've birthed you in the gospel when you read 1 Corinthians 4. He's a male. No birth canal. No, no physical, literal birth canal. Spiritually speaking, he says he births, birthed us through the gospel. You see, a spiritual father. So we have 10,000 baby teachers, a whole bunch of defunct pastors and defunct elders. And then on top of that, in these studies we've been looking at for the past two weeks, it's about spiritual warfare. We also have another aspect of what we're exposed to. And when we remember what was written in chapter 2 Corinthians chapter 11, in verse 4, for if he who comes preaches another Jesus. So these are preacher guys. Preacher guys who come in not speaking about Jesus Christ. They might mention the name of Jesus. They might mention Jesus. But the Jesus according to the Bible, it is not. These preacher guys, as is revealed in the same chapter in verse 15, they are ministers of Satan. They are servants of Satan. And they transform themselves into ministers of righteousness. That's what verse 15 says. And so the, the preacher guy, he looks like a preacher. He sounds like a preacher. But is he a preacher? No, he's a servant of Satan. And in verse 4 of chapter 11, the preacher guy comes in preaching another Jesus in accordance to a different spirit, not the Holy Spirit, a different spirit. Presenting a different gospel, you see? And Paul says at the end of verse 4, you guys may well put up with it. You see? The preacher guy comes in saying, oh yeah, go ahead. You can take the mark of the beast. You'll still be saved. We're putting up with it. The preacher guy comes in. Oh yeah, let's look at the glitter in the rafters and let's let it go down. And when it falls, we'll call it the Holy Spirit. We're putting up with it. The preacher guy comes in. Oh, let's go grave soaking. We're going to go lay on these grave sites. Oh, let's let's bring our friend who, who writes about crazy love. Let's bring our friend, the crazy love guy, and let's lay on the grave sites so the Holy Spirit can come up from the graves. We're putting up with it. Oh, the guy comes in with this coalition, his special coalition, and, you know, teaching about replacement theology that God has done with Israel. We're putting up with it. You see? These servants of Satan come in. And when Paul, he exposes his fear in verse 3 of chapter 11, and he says, but I fear, it's his phobia. I fear lest somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Simplicity. That's what's so beautiful about the Bible. It's really quite simple. It's really, really quite simple. It's mankind who makes it hard, but it's really very simple. The question is, who wants to apply the word of God? Sometimes you hear 
so-called pastors, I'm doing my air quote here, they they speak so uh, 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 pridefully about their knowledge. Oh, you know, I know the Bible like the back of my hand. I know Genesis to Revelation. I know the Greek. I know the Aramaic. I know the Hebrew. I went to Bible college. Look, I have my PhD in theology. I have all these things. But that person, such individual, is under stricter judgment. Number one, because he teaches. But stricter judgment because he knows better. You see? And if he fails to apply the word of God in his life, his judgment is greater. Better is the soul that knows a little bit of the Bible, but applies all of what he knows all of what she knows better is that soul than the soul who knows the entirety of the Bible and applies none. You see, this is God's economy. It's a whole different ballgame than what the natural man thinketh. And Paul, he tells the church in Corinth, and that's you and me. Remember my little example. We've gone back in time. We're desperate to become fourth graders. It's just you and me. Maybe we had the works of the flesh and, you know, we were corrected by Paul. Maybe, you know, it, it, we're just so desperate to mature in Christ. But yet we have this conundrum. And the conundrum is, who is going to teach us? Who is going to pour into us? Do I listen to the grave soakers? Do we listen to the mark of the beast guy and you'll still be saved? Do we listen to the replacement theologian? Do we listen to the preschool teachers? As Paul says, you have 10,000 teachers. And then when he says in chapter 11 at the end of verse 4, you may well put up with it. He even says in verse 19, you guys, this is what he says in verse 19. You guys put up with the fools. Gladly, he says. Gladly. So you and me, we're in Corinth. We're desperate to become fourth graders. And we're like having this conversation like, man, who, who are we going to listen? Who, who will we subject our ears to, our heart to? Who? Because we got the, the defunct leadership. We have 10,000 baby teachers. We also have these servants of Satan who present themselves as preacher guys. They come in as ministers of righteousness, but really they're ministers of Satan. And Paul says this. He says in verse 18, seeing that many, this is verse chapter 11, seeing that many boast according to the flesh, I also will boast. So Paul takes this opportunity. Remember, you and me, we were in this conundrum. We fully recognize and acknowledge the fact that we're in this conundrum. What do we do? We got the baby teachers. We got the defunct. We got the serpents. We got the servants of the serpents. We, what do we do? And so what does Paul do? He gets up on a little, I don't want to say pedestal because that, is a, that makes it seem like he's exalting himself. But he just gets up on a little platform. Get our attention. And he exercises a little bit of boasting. A little bit of boasting in chapter 11 and chapter 12. A little bit of boasting. Why? To get our attention. To rock our world, maybe. But to get our attention. So, you know, 
also acknowledging the conundrum that we are in, Paul gets on his little platform to rise up again, rise up above the, the the this mixture of people, the defunct, the baby teachers, the servants, the ministers of Satan, to rise up above them and say, "Hey, I'm pouring into you." Hey, remember what we studied last week? The abundance of what the Lord had showed him, you know, lest he should be, this is in chapter 12, now in verse 7, lest I be exalted above measure by the abundance of revelations. And then he explains the thorns in the side that the Lord gave him. He even acknowledges the fact that, hey, it's not good that I boast. In chapter 12, verse 1, he says, it is doubtful, doubtless not profitable for me to boast. For me to boast, he says. But yet he gets on this little platform so that he can elevate above the crowd, this mixture, this conundrum that you and me were ever so desperate to mature, remember. We want to be fourth graders so bad. And so what do we do? We have the, the baby teachers. We have the defunct teachers, defunct pastors. We have all the, you know, the, the, in, in the mix, there's the wolf, there's the serpent. In the mix. What do we do? And Paul rises up and gets on his little platform. Rises up and in chapter 12, verse 1, acknowledge, hey, this isn't good that I'm doing this, but I'm going to do it anyways. It's not good that I'm doing it for me. It's not good for me, but I'm doing it for you, for you and me. He does it for you and me. He boasts a little bit for you and me to rock our world, to get our attention and say, hey, I'm pouring into you. Remember in chapter 11, verse 2, seemingly carnal but it's not carnal because it's very spiritual in chapter 11 verse 2 he says i'm jealous for you with godly jealousy for i have betrothed you to one husband that i may present you as a chaste virgin to christ so you and me we're in this in the crowd of corinth and we're having this conversation who do we listen to the preacher guy comes in the, the messenger of satan we have the defunct Pastors, the defunct elders, and we've been stuck in first grade for so long. We've learned the error of our ways. We don't want to be that way anymore. We were uh, among the remnant through repentance, not no work of our own, but through repentance and the, the, the work that God has done in us and praise be to his name. But we don't want to get sucked back into the, the baby lifestyle. We want to move on to perfection. So Paul boasts, he gets up on his little platform to rise up against the, the others and says, hey, I'm jealous for you with godly jealousy because he also knows that we can get sucked in. We can be seduced. He says, I'm jealous for you with godly jealousy because I betrothed you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. Now, who speaks like that to us? Who speaks? I mean, the preacher guy might come in and say these things, but who says... I want to present you to your husband. Not carnally speaking. I want to present you to your husband, capital H, the better husband in accordance to the better marriage. And we look at each other. And who speaks to the preacher guy doesn't speak like that. The, pre, the preacher guy who comes in with another spirit, teaching another Jesus, he doesn't speak like that. 
He dare not speak about our marriage to, to, to the better husband, the better marriage to the better husband. He won't even dare touch on those things because he's that would be Jesus Christ, the real Jesus. The servants of Satan don't speak that way. The money preachers? No, he's interested in money. He's not going to speak of these things. And so we, we realize, we see Paul on his platform via letter. And then we realize, you know what? Paul's looking out for us. Paul's looking out for us. He wants to present us as a chaste virgin, as a clean, pure, innocent, and perfect maiden to the bridegroom, to our husband, capital H, Jesus Christ. So what are we going to do? We look at each other. We have this little conversation. And you know what we do? We say, we're going to submit to Paul. We're going to listen to Paul. Just as is written in chapter 13 of Hebrews. Look at Hebrews 13 really quick. In verse 17. Obey those who rule over you and be submissive for they watch out for your souls. And so in, in, in obedience to this verse, the word of God, we look at each other and we say, we're going to submit to Paul and his entourage, his holy bubble, Titus, Timothy. We're going to submit to them because they watch out for our soul. They don't lord over us. They don't compel us to do anything. They don't want to be burdensome to us. They go out of our way to avoid being a burden. They go way out of their way to avoid being a burden to us. Why is that? They don't want to lord over us in any way, shape, or form. Because they desire us to worship the Father in spirit and in truth. As was told the woman at the well. Not by compulsion. Not in, with any burdens. Thus fulfilling what our Lord himself says. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. And so the servants of the Lord. They go out of their way. To not be burdensome. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 17. It's a very beautiful verse. But it's a very dangerous verse. When taken out of biblical context. Because people in obedience to chapter 13 verse 17 of Hebrews. In obedience they submit themselves to the preacher guys. Who are servants of Satan. They submit themselves to the preschool teachers. They submit themselves to the defunct, the defunct pastors, the defunct elders. They submit themselves to such people rather than submitting themselves to the spiritual father such as Paul who says, I've birthed you like my own children. You see? And so we come to the conclusion I don't care what any of these other guys says. I see Paul. Yeah, he's boasting a little bit, but we understand why he's doing it. So you and me can see him above the crowd of so-called teachers. He rises up above them to say, hey, look over here. And so we come to the conclusion, we're going to listen to Paul. We're going to listen to Paul. We're going to listen to Titus. We're going to listen to Timothy. Because they're not like the average bear. They're not like the average bear. Remember, how many times did you hear us mention that in our study in the book of in the book of Acts? It's for a reason. You see. So let's begin our study through 
chapter 13 of 2 Corinthians. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 13. And Paul, in the past two weeks, in chapter 11 and chapter 12, he's been boasting, rightfully so, he's been boasting. It's to rock our world, to get our attention. But now he gets back down off that platform. No more boasting. He gets back down off that platform. And this is what he says in verse 1, 2 Corinthians chapter 13. This will be the third time I am coming to you. Now, we, we looked at this a little bit last week. And in last week, remember my example in Southern California, where, say, the Lord calls us to start a church in, in Los Angeles, and we do exactly that in obedience to Him. But then He calls us into Santa Barbara. And then from Santa Barbara, He calls us to Orange County. And we go to Orange County by way of Los Angeles. And we stop in Los Angeles and, you know, see how things are going. So there's like the, the first time we're in Los Angeles, we go to Santa Barbara. Second time in Los Angeles. And then we go down to Orange County. So there's that aspect. Another aspect would be in spirit. Because, you know, this will be the, in verse 1, this will be the third time I'm coming to you. Another aspect is the first time that Paul was in Corinth is in Acts 18, when the founding of the church. And then uh, that Paul's presence in the fellowship via letter, in spirit, via letter, 1 Corinthians. And this third time, that would be the second time Paul's in Corinth. This third time would be the letter of 2 Corinthians. So there's that aspect too. There are other people who, there are other schools of thought which say other things, but these are the two biggies. These are the two biggies. Me personally, I, I, I kind of like the Southern California example just because it's more, I mean, I can get the other one in, in, in letter. I, I can understand that. But the way, when you read Acts 17 through 20 and you see the traversings of the land, I kind of see as the, uh, the, 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 the Southern California example as most probable. But it could also be in spirit too. In verse one here, he says, and I love this, by the mouth, by the mouth of two or three witnesses, Every word shall be established. This is so beautiful because Paul references the law. In Deuteronomy 17, verse 6, the, two, the, 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 uh, 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 the witnesses, having witnesses on, on, on the mouth, by the mouth of two or three witnesses. But at the same time, there's correlating verses in Matthew 18, verse 16 about uh, uh, witnesses. And Paul, remember, in Paul's holy bubble, there's multiple witnesses there. But Paul, in giving this witness as testimonial and teaching truth and pouring in, is he referring to himself in different dispensations, if you will? Acts 18, the first Corinthian letter, and now the second Corinthian letter. It could be that as well. But it's so beautiful when you see this verse of the law, re referencing the law, but how it's used applicationally. By the workers. Remember, we make this distinction between field and worker. Field and worker. We must make this distinction. And how the worker, the servant of the master, the servant of the Lord, uses these verses of the law to drive this point home. That yes, they are witnesses of the Lord. This holy bubble. Now, a little side note too. This verse, by the mouth of two or three witnesses, there's a lot of abuse of this verse today, especially when you read Matthew 18. There's a lot of abuse of those passages because a lot of pastors, a lot of elders, they get away with disgusting, disgusting, disgusting things because 
a person might come up with an accusation. Say, for example, it's a like a, a teenage girl, a 13-year-old, a 14-year-old, even like a little uh, a 10-year-old boy or whoever comes up with this accusation. Oh, the youth leader was molesting me. The youth, I was raped by the youth pastor. And then these, the, the, the heads of the fellowship, they say, well, you need a witness for that. You know, we're going to apply Acts or, or Matthew 18. And so you need a witness for that. You know, you, you need a witness. Do you have a witness? If you don't have a witness, we're not going to believe it. We're not going to receive it. Now, a lot of, I'm doing my air quotes here, pastors, I call them wolves. They get away with murder. They get away with disgusting, disgusting things. And if they don't repeat, you know, when I speak of molestation and child rape, they should be in prison right away in prison. And I say in prison and I'm exercising grace there because I'm going to expose my carnal nature a little bit. I want to kill them. That's my flesh. I want them. I want to kill them. I want to be the judge and executioner. I want to kill them. So I have to be very careful in that regard. But when it comes to harming children, I don't like it. And a lot of pastors, they like to save face. But you have these abuse of scripture. You know, the two or three witnesses passages from, from Matthew 18, other passages too. But you, they get away with disgusting, disgusting things because somebody will come up with an accusation and they'll say, okay, do you have a witness? Do you have a third witness? And so they get away with crazy things. But if they don't repent, they're going to burn in hell. They're, they're subject to the second death. You see, the Lord sees everything. He knows everything. People think they have their secret lifestyle. There's no such thing as a secret lifestyle with the Lord. He knows everything. He sees it all. And so I just wanted to mention that because, you know, passages like this, a lot of times people, pastors, I'm doing my air quotes. I don't call them pastors. I call them wolves. I call them servants of Satan. They get away with murder. They like to save face and bringing dishonor to the, the name of the Lord. And so, but Paul says here in this holy bubble, in this holy bubble, by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word shall be established. He, he could be speaking about the, the holy bubble in his entourage, the, uh, this holy bubble, which includes Titus and Timothy and a whole bunch of different people, the future, the next generation of not just righteousness, but the next generation of pastors, ministry leaders. Or... He could be speaking about himself. And, you know, the first time that would be witness number one, that first Corinthians one could be witness number two. And now second Corinthians could be witness number three. So same witness, but in different timings, but there's three witnesses. So he could be saying that too. I kind of like the fact that it's unknown. I kind of think it's the latter <laughs> just because I meant like when, when like in chapter 12, remember in chapter 12 and verse two, I know a guy, you know, in chapter 12, verse 2, I know a man, I know this guy. But Paul's speaking about himself because he understands it's not good for him to boast. But he's going to boast a little bit. But even in boasting, he's going to not boast too much. I know a guy who does this. I know a guy who, and he's speaking about himself. And so we continue in chapter 13, verse 2. He says, I have told you before, understand, there's nothing new. There's a lot of repetition in the Bible. Old Testament, New Testament, a lot of repetition. Because the Lord knows that we tend to forget. The Lord knows. And with the Lord, there's a lot of repetition. With his servants, there's a lot of repetition. Because the Lord knows that we forget. So in verse 2, I've told you before. 
and foretell or forewarn as if I were present the second time. And now being absent, I write to those who have sinned before and to all the rest that if I come again, I will not spare. This is pretty hardcore. Remember, he's speaking to a remnant, but this remnant is not without chastisement. You know, I'll give you an example. So remember the division that happened in First Corinthians chapter five, you know, separate, you know, I'll read it. First Corinthians chapter five in verse 11. But now I have written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother. That's a Christian who is sexually immoral or covetous or an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or an extortioner, not even to eat with such a person. In verse 13 of chapter five, first Corinthians, he says, therefore, put away from yourselves the evil person. And so once this is done, the church in Corinth, they apply this and they separate from the leaven. And you figure, okay, now this, 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 this smaller bunch, this remnant, they're good to go. They're good to go. They've separated from the leaven and everything's fine and dandy. No, they're not. There's still chastisement for this remnant. Because do you remember in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, when Paul says in verse 17, this is 1 Corinthians 11, verse 17, in giving these instructions, I do not praise you or I do not applaud you. This isn't good. It's a little chastisement, a little spanking. I give you these instructions, in giving these instructions, I don't praise you guys. This isn't good. You see, the, the remnant still has this work of the, 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 the fleshly aspects in them, which need to be dealt with, but not dealt with in the manner of 1 Corinthians 5, because that was an overabundance of the works of the flesh that was uncorrected for three years. You see? And so now because of their choice for the to, to be operating at this level of the works of the flesh for three years, unrepentant, okay, now separate from them. Anybody named a brother, separate from them. This remnant, they're still chastised. There's still spankings for them, spiritually speaking. In chapter 11, verse 22, you also see this. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 22. At the end, shall I praise you in this? Shall I applaud you in this? I do not praise you, he says. A little chastisement, a little spanking. Spiritually speaking, a little spanking for the remnant. And then we, we understand that in these latter chapters of 1 Corinthians, there's deeper understandings. And then we get into 2 Corinthians, there's even more deeper understandings, more deeper teachings giving, given. But then at the same time, there's this reminder in chapter 2 Corinthians chapter 13, where we're at today in verse 2. I've told you guys this before. I've told you before, he says. And he says, it's it, it still in verse 2, I write to those who have sinned before and to all the rest that if I, can, if I come, I will not spare. I will not spare. He's saying, I'm not going to be lenient. I'm not going to be lenient. Remember in chapter 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 10, they were saying, oh, Paul, he speaks like this, but he's so weak. He's so weak. And then he boasts and says, look, if we got a clean house, we're going to clean house. The Lord cleaned house in Corinth, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, the Lord cleaned house, but he used vessel Paul. And inspired of the Spirit, vessel Paul wrote 1 Corinthians. Inspired of the Spirit, vessel Paul writes 2 Corinthians. And as a servant in the master's house, the master commands, keep my house clean. How does that happen? The, the touchy subjects need to be discussed. 
And I'm doing my air quotes on the touchy subjects because a lot of pastors, a lot of teachers, they don't like to talk about the sex and the drugs and the alcohol. I've spoken to pastors before where they say, oh, you know what? This isn't good. I'm going to speak on this and this isn't good. And then, you know, that Sunday, the pastor speaks on that very thing. And then I speak with the parishioners, the, the, the pew Christians, you know, and some of the wealthy ones where they say this is in the previous experience, but some of the wealthy were like, oh, how dare the pastor say that I tithe over a hundred thousand dollars a year. I tithe over this. How dare the pastor speak? All of a sudden, the guy says, I'm going to talk to the pastor about this. And how dare he speak about this? If I go to another fellowship, I'm going to take my money with me. And what miraculously miraculously what happens the pastor changes his tune the next sunday and makes a correction to his statement you see why because he's a hireling the guy threatened to the parishioner the pew christian threatened to take his money away and the pastor changed his mind because he's a hireling you see he's a hireling And what Paul says here, if I come again in verse 2, if we got a clean house again, to those who have sinned before and to all the rest, if I come again, hey, if we got a clean house again, we're going to do just that. We're going to clean house because the Lord's house must be clean. And I speak of the fellowship, but what about the hearts? What about the minds? Those need to be clean, not as well. Those need to be clean as more important because the temple of the Lord is you. That needs to be clean and kept clean. You see, he says, I write to those who have sinned before. It's unrepented sin. Unrepented sin. You get the mindset, oh, I did the altar call when I was 10 years old, so I'm good to go. So when you were 10 years old, that was the last time you took a shower? Imagine imagine a a 35-year-old male who says, oh, I did the altar call. I repented and accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior when I was 10 years old. I did the altar call and once saved, always saved, so I don't need to repent anymore. That's that's like saying, oh, a 35-year-old male saying, you know what? I took a shower when I was 10 years old and I'm good to go. I don't need to bathe anymore because, hey, you know, once showered, always showered. So I don't need to take a shower anymore. You know how funky that guy's going to be? You know how nasty he's going to be? Talk about social distancing. It's not six feet. I need 60 feet from that guy. You see? Paul says, look, if we got a clean house, we're going to clean house. It's very interesting when you see the behavior of the remnant or the behavior of the remnant and the behavior of the leaven because this leaven they would think otherwise the leaven would say paul's so mean he's so cruel he's so mean-spirited look i'm doing all this sex and he says i can't be part of the fellowship look i'm doing all these drugs and he says i can't be a part of the fellowship Look, I'm letting my kids do all this sex. And he says, I can't be a part of the fellowship. I'm allowing the uh, 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 
uh, pedophilia in my home and he says I can't be a part of the fellowship. I'm allowing this this drugs and alcohol in my home and he says I can't be a part of the fellowship. He's so mean. How dare he say that? Look, he speaks like this, but he's so weak. That's what, that was the argument in Corinth. And remember in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 10? Paul says straight up, look, if, if we got a clean house, we're going to clean house. I'll do it again. I'll do it again. Because how could one's disobedience dictate the disobedience of Paul? It can't. How can we expect Paul to be disobedient? We can't. Paul is choosing obedience for himself before the Lord. And in his obedience before the Lord, how can he not but speak in in correction, correcting the saints? He did it in 1 Corinthians. He doesn't just do it to the Corinthian church. He does it a little bit in 2 Corinthians too. And he, it's not a threat, but he just says, look, if I come again, I will not spare. I have that transit. He says, hey, I'm not going to be lenient. You see? He doesn't just do it in Corinth. He does it in Ephesus. He does it in, not so much in the Philippian church. I see Philippians as like a model church. There's still warnings, but it's not, it's a little different. Does it in Ephesus and Galatia? To the Colossian saints? You see, that's what's so powerful about the word of God. How the word of God comes to us. Spirit, inspired of the spirit. The Holy Spirit says, Paul, write this letter down. And in obedience, Paul writes it down. Little did he know that this would be captured in the canon of scripture. Little did he know that this would be captured in the canon of Scripture where where the the proximity of Paul to the Lord. I don't even want to say proximity because the Lord was inside of him. No proximity, straight up inside of him. That's how dead Paul was. So much so that his writings were canon. You see, it's not Paul, it's Christ in Paul. You see, And if I come again, I will not spare. That's what Paul says here in verse 3. Since you seek a proof of Christ speaking in me, who is not weak towards you. Now, let me ask you a question. Is Christ powerless? To you who believe, is Christ powerless? Now, 100%, everyone would say, no, he's not. Now, if you're abiding in him, and remember, he doesn't just say abide in me, period. He says abide in me and I in you. If you're about, you believe in Jesus and you're abiding in him and he who you say and whose scripture reveals that he is not powerless, him, he's inside of you. How is it that we cannot, that we cannot expect to have the power of God within us. And I don't say that like, you know, like in a possessive way. But I say that referencing the power of the Holy Spirit. Because a lot of times what happens? Christians, they believe in Jesus Christ. They have the baptism of Jesus. But there's no baptism of the Holy Spirit. Do you know why? Why? 
in, in the case with Simon, remember our study in the book of Acts, in his case, it was wickedness. His heart was hard, unrepentant heart. It was his wickedness. And the Holy Spirit knew, the Lord knew. And the Holy Spirit came on everybody. Paul laid hands on the people and the Holy Spirit indwelt everybody at that time. They all believed in Jesus. And the Holy Spirit fell on all of them except for one who was wicked. That was Simon. No baptism of the Holy Spirit, which means what? No power. A lot of times people say, oh, the Holy Spirit, the ministry, the power of the Holy Spirit, that was for 2,000 years ago. That's not for today. That's for the book of Acts. Rubbish. Rubbish. Complete and total rubbish. That's a lie from the pit of hell. You will not see an expiration date on how the Holy Spirit works. You will never find that in the Bible. Do you know why they come up with this excuse? It's because in their life, they have no power. And because they have no power, they might believe in Jesus. Simon did too. They might believe in Jesus, but they have no power. How could they have power when they reserved the Holy Spirit for 2,000 years ago? Knowing that the Lord is a gentleman, how could they? Oh, that was for 2,000 years ago. Another dispensation. It's not in accordance to this dispensation because we don't see it today. We don't see these miracles happening today. We don't see the healings that we see in the book of Acts. We don't see that today. So therefore, that was for 2,000 years ago. It's not for today. Well, I have a question. If that's you, I have a question for you. Why is it that you don't see that in your life? Why? If you don't see it in your life, why is it that you don't see it in your life? Could it be that you're looking with carnal eyes? Could it be that there's more carnal, more of the carnal nature in your vessel than there is of the spiritual nature? Could you be that you're blinded through carnality, blinded through disbelief, unbelief? Could it be? Understanding that you will not find an expiration date in the Bible, an expiration date on the Holy Spirit. These are powerless people, powerless, and they're in the church. They believe in Jesus Christ, but even the demons believe in Jesus Christ, except they tremble. Even the demons believe. But there is such a thing as the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and that's where the power is. Now, this Jesus, this Jesus of the Bible, remember, in the beginning was the word. If you abide in him and he in you, is he powerless to heal? Is he powerless to protect? Is he powerless to guide? The answer is no. And that's what Paul is getting at here in verse 3. Since you seek a proof of Christ speaking in me, who is not weak, he is not weak toward you but mighty in you. A little reminder because we tend to forget. Remember that example, you and me, we go back in time, we have the crowd and Paul gets up on his little platform and he says, hey, look, listen to me. And in that, as he explaining like, hey, don't listen, you know, look at these baby teachers. Don't listen to them. That's for babies. You guys aren't in preschool anymore. You need a deeper understanding of these deeper truths. 
Old Testament and New Testament. And we wonder like, man, how, how are we going to do How are we going to have this understanding? How are we going to, how, how, how can this be? I don't, I'm just a third grader. How can I be in 10th grade one day? And in verse three, there's this reminder. He's Jesus Christ. He's not weak towards you, but mighty in you. A little reminder because it's like, oh yeah. Oh yeah, I forgot. Remember, knowledge is a gift of the Holy Spirit. The power, the dunamis power, where we get the word dynamite. The dunamis power. The same power that raised Christ from the grave. From the tomb. You see? And because... People have no power in their lives as a result of their unbelief. Yes, I say unbelief. As a result of their unbelief. Just like we saw with Israel in the wilderness. Where the Lord, you know, the Lord says, hey, go, you know, uh, uh, go into Canaan and fight. And they say, no, we're afraid. We're not going to go fight. And then the Lord says, okay, if you're not going to do that, then, you know, judgment time. And they say, okay, we're going to go into Canaan and fight. And then the Lord doesn't change his mind. He doesn't change his mind. He says, Moses, tell them, don't go to fight. Don't go fight. So did the Lord change his mind? No, the people changed their heart. The people changed their heart and they go to fight. Just like the Lord said, they go to fight, except they lose the fight. It's like, wait a second. Was the Lord wrong? Absolutely not. Their heart was wrong. Their heart was wrong. But the same thing applies in according to in accordance to grace. Remember, the formula has to be right. If you remember our study from several weeks ago, and when we closed the book of Numbers, when we ended the book of Numbers, even a, a little mention in Deuteronomy, the formula has to be right. We got to get the blue juice. Remember, we're trying to get a bl- the blue juice and a puff of smoke, and so we're doing all these mixtures. And the man, the the, the, the juice is orange. We, we add more mixtures. Like, man, the juice is pink. No puff of smoke. Or we add a mixture and it's like we get the puff of smoke, but the juice is pink. We get the puff of smoke, but the juice hasn't changed at all. And we're trying to get the blue juice and a puff of smoke. Well, in order for that to happen, we have to add, we have to follow the the instructions, the ingredients. Everything has to be added in its proper portion, at its proper time, its proper measurement. Everything has to align perfectly with the instructions. Otherwise, we're not going to get the blue juice and a puff of smoke. But the same thing applies with the Holy Spirit. You see? Oh, I have no power of the Holy Spirit in my life. That was for another dispensation. The Holy Spirit doesn't work like that anymore. That was for 2,000 years ago in the book of Acts. That's not for today. Come on, let's go get drunk. You see? That's not the formula. Oh, that was for another dispensation. The Holy Spirit doesn't work like that anymore. Come on, let's go to the strip club. Not the formula. Oh, that was for another dispensation. I read the uh, uh, this you know this study Bible from the guy who says it's okay to take the mark of the beast and I'll still be saved. And I read his study Bible and he teaches me in accordance with the uh, 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 in accordance with reformed theory that if the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit, that was for another dispensation. That's not for today. Come on, I got the finest meth from Chiapas, Mexico. Let's go get, let's go get baked. That's not the formula. That's not the formula. 
No blue juice and a puff of smoke. No, the hearts, the hearts need to be so rendered to God. I like that word, so rendered, as the prophet says. So rendered. You know what it reminds me of? Surrender. Surrender. That's the heart. Now, I can't force that on anybody. I can't force anybody, hey, surrender your heart to the Lord. No. Every single person has to do it for himself or herself. Every single soul. Now, every knee and every tongue, will, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. We, the remnant of these last days, we do it willingly, willingly surrendering to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, praising him, worshiping him, glorifying him, honoring him. But there is a generation that will be forced down and acknowledgement of his lordship. Much better is the soul that does so willingly. Even having not seen him. Remember, Jesus Christ, when, uh, you know, when, when doubting Thomas, blessed is he, Jesus Christ says, red letters, blessed is he who believes and has not seen. That's you and me. And so we continue here in verse Four, Second Corinthians chapter 13. For though he was crucified in weakness. Notice past tense was crucified. Past tense in weakness. Yet he lives, which is present tense. Present tense 2,000 years ago for the Corinthian saints. And here we are today still present tense. He lives by the power of God. Power of God. For we also, that's you and me, it was Corinthian, it was the Corinthian saints 2,000 years ago, give or take a couple years, and it's us today, and all who believe. Now, you hear me mention all who believe, and if you believe, now I have a, a, a statement to say, if perhaps you do not believe, if you don't believe in Jesus Christ, cut it out. Don't be unbelieving anymore. Let yesterday be your last day of unbelief and let today be the day of salvation. And if that's you and you want to commit your life to Jesus Christ, or if you're lukewarm, you believe, but you're not obeying him and you want to recommit your life to Jesus Christ, you hit pause right here, right now. Hit pause and listen to the message, how to commit your life to Jesus Christ and you commit your life to Jesus Christ and you receive him as Lord and Savior and you come back and listen. And we grow and mature together. What I like to say to people is, get in the ark. Join me in the ark. Jesus Christ. And so we continue in verse 4. He lives by the power of God for we also, that's you and me, and for all who believe. For we also are weak in him, but... We shall live, which is a future tense. It was a future tense 2,000 years ago, give or take a couple years for the Corinthian saints. And it's a future event for you and me because Paul speaks about eternity. He speaks about paradise. We shall live a future event with him by the power of God toward you. Same exact power. The same power that rose him from the grave. 
the same power, the baptism of the Holy Spirit that is inside of you if you're abiding in Christ. You abide in Christ and his promise and I in you. That's no small thing. And I in you? I mean, let's put this in perspective. Jesus Christ, Son of the Most High God, Son, the God, our Father, His Son. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God in Him. Him inside of you? And you say that that power was reserved for 2,000 years ago? If that, I mean, I, I say, and I don't want to say you, but if you had that notion, and I'm crazy? Come on now. I'm the crazy guy? And the promise of the Lord abide in me and I in you and him. Just, just let's put this in perspective. Jesus Christ, the son of the most high, the most high, emphasis on most high, his son who called Lazarus uh, to walk away from the grave. That was just little things compared. That's something little in terms of the what he's already done. And that's just what we know. I mean, there, there's more. I mean, Brother John even says there's much more. He just didn't have the paper to write it. Or the Spirit didn't command him so. But there's much more. Heals the sick. Turns water to wine. Turns a small number of loaves and fish into can feed thousands. All things... All things were made in him, by him, and through him. Him. And you're abiding in him, which is beautiful. And there's no period there. He says, abide in me and I in you. And you, so you take him, just, just so you know, that power. And you put that inside of you. And you want to say that the Holy Spirit's power was for 2,000 years ago. And you call me crazy? Come on now. Who's the crazy one, my friend? I love you, but who's the crazy one? You see what I'm talking about? That's what Paul is saying. In verse 3, he's not weak towards you, but mighty in you. I mean, <laughs> just so we have this perspective. And at the end of verse 4, we shall live with him by the power of God toward you. Now comes the kicker in verse 5. Examine yourselves which is to scrutinize yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. That's the kicker. Examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith, he says. That's hardcore. Remember, he's speaking to the remnant. The leaven has been taken care of. He's speaking to the remnant and to the remnant. He says, examine yourself as to whether you are in the faith. Surely they are in the faith. And Paul says, examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. You see? A little, a little gut check, so to speak. A little heart check. Because remember, if you think Satan is going to stop his attacks for any moment at any time, you're fooling yourself. The attacks can come at any, any time. And they will come at any 
given moment of any given day of any given month year decade century the attacks are non-stop satan is relentless relentless we have to be on guard equipped ready prepared And to this remnant of Corinth, Paul is saying, examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. That's a hardcore, that's a hardcore verse. Test yourselves, he says, which is to discern. Test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? Just like we've been talking about. He's in you. And notice what he says here. I mean, okay, let's put this in another perspective. So, We've established the fact who Jesus is. I mean, you might already know. I mean, if you don't know, I mean, he's the son of God. And he loves you. God loves you. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And you might be a baby Christian today. You might have just hit pause, accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And then you come back, you hit unpause and you're listening. And here we are. And you're a baby in Christ, a beautiful, beautiful baby today. You know, happy birthday. Happy birthday. I love you. And now we have to grow. We have to matriculate. We have to understand these things. And I don't mean to shock you in saying this. If you are a brand new believer today, I pray that's the case. And if you're not a brand new believer, I pray you've been a believer for a long period of time and you've been walking with the Lord and growing with him and matriculating. If you've been walking with the Lord for 10 years and you're still a baby, that's not good. You need to repent. That's not good. So... When we put this in another perspective, the Son of the Most High is inside of you. That's loaded in itself because there's power in that. In the baptism of the Holy Spirit, there's power in the name of Jesus Christ and Him. He's inside of you. Why in the world would we say, okay, yes, I'm a born-again Christian. Let's go get high. You see? I mean, if Jesus Christ tells you, hey, I want to be close to you, I want to be close with you, and not super close, but just like, you know, six inches away from you, and you say, okay, Jesus, let's go to the strip club. Okay, Jesus, let's go do some meth. Okay, Jesus, let's go gambling. Now, I want to wash my mouth out because it's nasty to even suggest such a thing. I I don't like saying it, but I say it to help us understand that's Jesus if he were right six inches away from us. Why? It's, it's disgusting to even utter such a thing. But what's more disgusting is knowing that he abides in us, in you and me, when we abide in him. Closer than six inches apart. Not even touching shoulder to shoulder straight up inside of me, inside of you. And then we willingly do the meth, do the drugs, do the alcohol, go to the strip clubs, you know, uh, do all kinds of works of the flesh, do the occult, do all these kinds of things. These temples are being defiled more and more and more in these last days. It is prophesied to happen. The apostasy of the last days, it is prophesied to happen. But to the remnant The remnant will keep the temple clean and pure. 
That's the behavior trait of the remnant. You see? And just like a parent bathes a child, you know, teaches how to get behind the ears and all the nooks and the crannies and you have this little child playing in the tub and has the toys and all these things. That child is going to grow up and doesn't need a parent to bathe because the child has learned to do it himself. The child has learned to do it himself or herself, the shower and all kinds of different things. But that's what we see here too. You see the bathing that Paul had for the church in 1 Corinthians. And then now in verse 5, he says this, examine yourselves. Examine yourselves, scrutinize yourselves. He says, test yourselves. He says, know yourselves. You see, maturity, growth, understanding. And I didn't want to give that gross example. I meant, forgive me for, I wanted to, but I also didn't want to. Forgive me for doing it like that, but just to get, you know, because we forget. We forget that the union we have with Christ He's not just close to us. He's not just, you know, six feet away or six inches away. He's straight up inside of us. And yet we willingly do these works of the flesh. Forgetting that he's inside of us. You see? And that right there is part of the internal battle. Remember the battle first in and then through? So many times people, oh, I want to be used of the Lord. I want to be used of the Lord. So I'm going to go and do this ministry. It's like, wait a second, hold on. We're told not to not to be a, a novice. It's dangerous for a new believer to do these things, they, to join in these ministries. It's very dangerous. It's like telling, you know, a five-year-old child, oh, you know what? Go to a war zone. Go to a war zone. A five years old, a five year old. Oh, I'm gonna go to a war zone. I'm, I'm gonna go get a, you know, a, a, a soda and some candy for in this war zone. No, no, don't go. You can't go. It's not that the soda and the candy isn't for you, but you can't go because it's dangerous. Don't go. Either let me go with you, not to lord over you, not to compel you to do anything, but for protection. Or. Stay here. Let me teach you. Let me train you. Let me equip you. And then you can go have a blast. Go get your candy. Go to the war zone because I know you. I know it's a dangerous environment, but you're more dangerous. You see? I know that there's these tough guys over here, but you know what? I also, I trained you as a killer. You see? And I speak metaphysically. I'm not speaking, you know, go out and kill these people. I'm speaking metaphorically and metaphysically. And to use these, uh, the grossness of saying, you know, why would Jesus Christ be in us? And then we go to the strip club. Why would Jesus Christ be in us? And then we do the drugs, the sex, the alcohol, the, you know, the gambling, the all kinds of different works of the flesh. Now, understand that we, we're always going to have this aspect of the flesh because we, we're at war with the flesh. We can never be sinless. But each day we can sin less and less and less and less and less. And don't forget the sin of omission either. When the Lord says, hey, I want you to do this. I want you to say this. I want you to go here. And we refuse. That's called the sin of omission. To him who knows what he ought to do and does not do it to him, it is sin. 
People think, oh yeah, I've never murdered before. I've never did this before. I've never did this before. Okay, but what have you not done that the Lord wants you to do? That's also sin. You see, the Lord is always raising the bar. Why? Because there's a higher standard for the fourth grader than there is for the first grader. There's a higher standard for the 10th grader than there is for the fourth grader. There's a higher standard for the 12th grader than there is for the sixth grader. You see, the bar is being raised. Who who goes to a senior in high school and starts finger painting? You know, finger painting, that's for preschoolers. No, the, the 12th grader learns deeper things, has a deeper understanding. Same thing. And Paul says, examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. In verse 5, test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? He's inside of you. Unless indeed, he says, you are disqualified. Whoa. Whoa. That's hardcore. Which is to be reprobate. Rejected, cast away, and unapproved. That's how it translates. Turn with me really quick to the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 7. Turn to Matthew chapter 7. And we see in Matthew 27, verse 21, the Lord says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. Notice what's happening here. These people who he's referring to acknowledge Jesus Christ as Lord. They call him Lord and they say to him, Lord, Lord. And Jesus says here, these people aren't going to enter the kingdom of heaven. Which begs the question, wait a second, I thought you, you, you call in the, anybody who believes and calls to the name of the Lord will be saved. Yes, it's absolutely true, but there's more to the story. Just like the, uh, the, 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 the thief on the cross. You look at the three crosses. Say we're at the foot of the cross. You and me, we're in a time machine. We go back in time again. We're at the foot of the cross. We're at the feet of the crosses because there's three crosses. In the middle, we see Jesus. On the left, we see a thief. On the right, we see another thief. Both are mocking Jesus Christ. Both are mocked. People say, oh, there's a discrepancy in the Bible. No, that's not a discrepancy. You see, belief came on one of them. When you read the, the Gospels in chronological order, you see both were mocking Jesus Christ. And in the course of time, only one was mocking Jesus Christ. And one of them started to believe in Jesus Christ. You see, his heart was changed right there on the cross. Thief. A thief. And his heart was changed. And he says, look, he says to the other guy, he says, look, we're here because of our crimes and we're here rightfully. We're supposed to be here because we did these crimes. But him, speaking about Jesus, he is innocent. And then he looks to Jesus and he says, remember me when you enter your kingdom. Whew. Belief right there. Born again on the cross. He believes in Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ says to him, Today you will be with me in paradise. Oh my goodness. Whew. What a way to go. Oh my goodness. That would be so awesome. What a way to go. To hear the words of I mean, we have the words of Jesus Christ, but to, like to, today, not, not next year, today, 
you will be with me in paradise. Whoa. What an immense, I mean, you could be on the cross dying and suffering and all of a sudden just like, man, today it's just, this is going to last for another 20 minutes. And after that, say goodnight and I'm in paradise. And Jesus Christ tells him, today you will be with me in paradise. You see, he believed in Jesus Christ. He believed in Jesus Christ. And I cannot wait to give him a big fat hug one day. I cannot wait. I have a long list of people that everybody, I just want to give a big fat hug to everybody in our glorified bodies. You see? So he believed and he's in paradise. But what if, for example, he was freed from the cross? I'm not, you know, this isn't captured in scripture, but I'm just giving an example what if he came down off the cross? They just said, okay, we, 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 mistaken identity. It should have been this guy, but you know, we accidentally put you on the cross. So sorry, you know, and here we're going to let you down. And now that former thief who believes in Jesus Christ, because he's not going to die in 20 minutes, you know, they take him to the doctor, they take him to the hospital, they revive him. He can put, put the, you know, all the, you know, uh, he had a loss of blood. They do all these things. I'm speaking modern medical technology, but, you know, they just bring him back to how he used to be. Now, this former thief who believes in Jesus Christ, there's a different ballgame. He still believes in Jesus Christ, but now because he's not on the cross, now he has to obey. I mean, even if when he was on the cross, he has to obey Jesus Christ. But I mean, there's not much to obey when you're going to be dead in 20 minutes and you're dying. He still has to obey Jesus Christ. He still has to walk with Jesus Christ. Not just for the next 20 minutes. For the next 20 years, as long as he lives. And it's possible in the course of time that his belief can become unbelief. And that's the deceitfulness of sin that we read in Hebrews chapter 3. Now, since I mentioned it, let's look at Hebrews chapter 3 really quick. In Hebrews 3, and I read it all the time, and I'm not going to get tired of reading it all the time because repetition is a good thing. Muscle memory, so to speak. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12, Beware, brethren, beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief. Interesting. So you have brethren here and this warning to beware is that there can be a heart not just a heart an evil heart of unbelief how does that happen well it says right here in departing from the living god but exhort one another daily not once a year daily while it is called today lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin so by Thief on the cross example, where he comes off the cross, he's let off off the cross, he let down off the cross. Every day, there's potential for the hardening of his heart. There's the potential for that. He has a choice to make. Is he going to obey Jesus Christ? Or is he going to deny Jesus Christ? That's the choice that he has to make. The thief on the cross, he died and he's in, that day he died, he was in paradise with Jesus Christ. But if, for example, he came off the, off the cross, he would still have to live for Jesus Christ. Not to go back to his thieving lifestyle. The regression, the re-crucification of Jesus Christ. 
What the writer of Hebrews says in chapter 6 is impossible to store to restore such a one. You see, there's always that danger, the deceitfulness of sin. And these attacks of Satan will come at, you know, you might be a preschooler, first grade, second, third. It's going to come at any interval of your life. But as you mature, you're going to be more equipped to handle this fight. Because you're not just equipped, you're thoroughly equipped. You see, that comes with maturity. And remember my example, you and me were desperate to become fourth graders. You see, the thief on the cross, he died like, you know, he became a believer and died, you know, that same day. Not just that same day, he was dead within 20 minutes. I'm a little jealous. You see. So let's go back to Matthew verse chapter 7, Matthew 7. And here in Matthew 7, in verse 21, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. You see, he who does the will of my Father, the thief, my example, he comes off the cross. He was, you know, they made a mistaken identity, so he lives a little bit longer. Now, he still has to do the will of our Father in heaven. He still has to do his will. And I'll tell you this False doctrine, which is coming, becoming more popular these days. They say, well, there's God's will, but then there's also his perfect will. Very popular among reformed theory people, Calvinists. There's God's will, and then there's his perfect will. You won't find that in the Bible where, you know, there's his will and his perfect will. There's God's will. To, to imply that God's will isn't perfect of the sovereign, the sovereign Lord. It's an abomination in my book. To imply imperfection in the will of God, the sovereign God, to me is an abomination. But yet these people, they say, oh, the Holy Spirit doesn't work like that anymore. That was for 2,000 years ago in the book of Acts. There was an expiration. You come to the end of the book of Acts and boom, there's the expiration, expiration date on the Holy Spirit. That's not for today. That's not for today. Come on, let's go to the strip club. Look, I got the finest meth from Chiapas, Mexico. Let's go, let's go, get, let's go get baked. You see? Oh, I'm in God's will by doing that because once saved, always saved. But it's not his perfect will. That's the doctrine of demons, my friend. That's the doctrine of demons in accordance to the servants of Satan. Just as Paul warned about, and what do we see in the church today? People are putting up with it. Just as Paul warned, you might well put up with it. What's happening today in the church? We're putting up with it. That thief on the cross, former thief, who's now a believer in Jesus Christ, he come for every day. He wakes up in the morning. That day he has to obey Jesus Christ. And he's going to mess up. And when he messes up, he gets a little dirty. He's got to take a shower, spiritually speaking, which is to repent. Be washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. You see? Repent, 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 repent. That's what needs to happen. The thief goes to the former thief, I should say. Our brother. <laughs> My brother. <laughs> He goes to bed that night, you know, praises the Lord, says his nightly prayers, wakes up, same thing. Every day for the rest of his life. 
If he goes back to his thieving lifestyle, well, then his heart is getting hard. That's the deceitfulness of sin. That's the evil heart of unbelief that we're warned about in Hebrews 3. But that didn't happen for him. The Lord told him, today you will be with me in paradise. But for you and me, he who does the will of my Father in heaven, those are the ones who shall enter the kingdom of heaven. In verse 22, still in Matthew 7, many, not a little bit, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, see again, they call out to him, they acknowledge him as Lord, they cry out to him, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? Very interesting. Very interesting. Prophets. Cast out demons in your name? Very interesting. And done many wonders in your name. With carnal eyes, these seem to be very effective people. They call out to the Lord. They acknowledge Him, Jesus Christ, as Lord. Doing these signs and wonders and with carnal eyes. Wow, surely these are Christians. Surely they believe. Surely we should listen to this guy. Surely we should listen to this preacher guy. Look, he... He's a prophet. He casts out demons. They do many wonders. Surely we should listen to them. Look, he calls the glitter the Holy Spirit. Look, surely we should listen to them. And then the Lord says, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Never. Not just I knew you for a little bit. I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Some translations say, you workers of iniquity. That's the deceitfulness of sin. The evil heart of unbelief. You see? And the Lord says straight up, depart from me. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does, you see, we hear and do. Just as the Bible teaches us not to be hearers of the word only, but to be doers of the word. And the Lord says, he who, therefore, therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, action, action to our belief. You have these people nowadays, they say, oh, you know, pastors, Pastors, I'm doing my air quotes. Oh, you know, don't come at me with that. You, you don't know anything of the Bible. I know the Bible like the back of my hand. I know Genesis to Revelation. Look, I know the Aramaic. I know Hebrew. I know, I know Greek. I even look at the, the, the uh, Latin Vulgate from time to time. I speak Latin too. I know Latin. I do all these things and I know the Bible like every, you know, you know how much judgment that is? Do you know how much opportunity for judgment that is? You know. And you don't apply. And then the pastor himself, I'm doing my air quotes, the so-called pastor. Oh, I know the Bible. Look, I have my doctorates. I went to Bible college. I know the Bible like crazy. Better than you. Better than you. And if that pastor doesn't apply what he knows, I could say if that pastor doesn't apply what she knows, already judgment. Pastors, elders, always male. Always male. Now, if you're a feminist, I love you. But you're a feminist. What I like to say to feminists is get a new patriarch. Capital P. His name is Jesus Christ. He loves you. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. He is Lord. You might be a feminist because of all the lowercase p patriarchs that you've been exposed to. 
a lot of times, you know, basket case dads, you know, you have basket case males in your life. But with Jesus Christ, he is the best patriarch of all time. And I tell you this from experience, not as a feminist, but in submission to him. You see, the rise of feminism today. You see, and in some regard, I don't blame them because there's a lot of, a lot of defunct guys out there. A lot of guys, they look like guys, they got the muscles, they got the hairy chest, they got all this, they got all that, but they're little tiny babies. Little tiny babies. So in one regard, I meant for the feminists, I kind of, in one regard, I kind of agree. Because there's a lot of stupid guys out there. But get a better patriarch. His name is Jesus Christ. Submit to him. Yes, submit to him. Submit yourself to him. Not the Jesus you see on the TV. I'm talking about the Jesus Christ of the Bible of whom we study. You see? Be hearers and doers. You see? Just as Romans 10 teaches us, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Now, now that we are in this hearing of the word of God, now what? We apply. That's why it's kind of simple. You hear, you do. You read, you do. You study, you do pretty easy <laughs> it's pretty easy it's not hard. why would the lord make it hard why would the lord say oh you want to believe in me okay memorize this memorize the catechism you want to believe in me okay do this do that no we believe in him he teaches us and yes we you know we do things in accordance to what he teaches us but he's not going to say okay you're a first grader here take a calculus lesson here, you're a preschooler. Here, you know, uh, do this uh, uh, biology exam. No, he said, you're a first grader. Here, let's finger paint. You know, you're a second grader. Come on, let's learn one plus one. Let's learn the addition. Third grade, you know, let's do multiplication now. You see? You're a preschooler. Let's learn how to, how to draw. He teaches us how to walk. Just as the prophets say. Just as Moses says, he teaches us how to walk. Remember Ezekiel? Ezekiel, can these bones walk? Can these bones live? <laughs> you know, Lord. <laughs> you know, Lord. In verse 24, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. That is the state of the soul, male or female. That is the state of the soul, of the soul who hears and does. You see? Not the practicers of lawlessness, not the workers of iniquity, the one who hears and does. Oh, but I don't know the Bible like you know. This guy says that he's gone to Bible college. He knows the Bible like the back of his hand. And I just know two pages of the book of Matthew. Praise be to the Lord. Obey those two pages. And let's study and read page three, page four. Let's finger paint. Let's finger paint together. You see? Praise be to the Lord. Better is the soul who knows little of the Bible and applies 100% of the little that he or she knows than the soul who claims to know a lot of the Bible but obeys none of it. Those are the workers of iniquity. 
Those are the practicers of lawlessness. Those are the ones in whom is zero power. You see, those are the serpents that we're told to be cautious of. Those are the servants, the ministers of Satan that we're told to be cautious of and wary of. And if you're a pastor and you're listening, those are the ones that you have to kill. Spiritually speaking, metaphysically. But wolves are to be killed by the shepherd to protect the sheep, to protect the lambs. I'm not talking about physically or literally. I'm speaking very spiritually and only spiritually. Kill the wolf. If you're a pastor, if you're an elder, kill the wolf. You see? If you're a wolf yourself, stand by. Verse 25 or verse 26 But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them. Very interesting. You know what we see here in verse 24 and 26? Both here. Both here. In verse 24, whoever hears these sayings of mine, verse 26, who, who everyone who hears these sayings of mine, they both hear. And we know that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But then also we know from our study in Luke 8, what happens when somebody hears? What happens when the word of God, the little seed goes in an ear hole? What happens once that seed enters the ear hole? How does it make its way to the heart? Now, it doesn't make its way to the heart in just everybody or anybody. What is the condition of the heart? You see? And what Satan does, just for reference, just for reference. Let's look at Luke chapter 8 really quick. And in Luke chapter 8, we see this. Now the seed, the word of God, goes in a little ear hole. A little tiny ear hole. A little tiny seed goes in a little tiny ear hole. Now what happens? Luke chapter 8, verse 11. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. Now, so the seed goes in a little tiny ear hole. Those by the wayside are, are the ones who hear. Then the devil comes and takes away the word out of their hearts. You see? Intimacy with Jesus Christ, that's beautiful. But some people have intimacy with the devil. And when the devil's inside, the seed goes in and the devil says, Nope, get out of here. Because I don't want this vessel to believe and be saved. As is written here in verse 12. So the devil comes and takes away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. And then there's another category. The ones on the rock are those who, when they hear, so the seed goes in a little ear hole. Now what happens? They receive the word with joy, and these have no root. Who believe for a while. That's the short-term believer. They might believe for five months, five years. But not forever. Not for the long haul. They believe for a while. A short-term believer. How could once saved, always saved be true? When they believe, but just for a little bit. Once once, Once saved, always saved is unbiblical unbiblical you will not find it in the word of god you'll hear people you'll you'll hear people talk about it and teach about it and have their study bibles about it but you will not find it in the word of god because here you have this believer 
And the word goes in their ear hole, and then they believe, they receive their word with joy, except they have no root. They have no root. How is it that they have no root? Babies. Either it's because they're babies and the root isn't going deep in the soil, or it's because they're babies through very dense soil. And that's a result of defunct pastors, defunct elders who don't teach. You see, babies. And they believe for a while and in time of temptation, fall away. And since Jesus tells us that there is such a thing as a short-term believer, somebody who believes for a little bit and then falls away, how can once saved, always saved be true? Answer, it is untrue. Now verse 14. Now the ones that fell among the thorns are those who, when they have heard, so the, the seed goes in the ear hole, they go out and are choked with the cares, riches, and pleasures of life and bring no fruit to maturity. You see? No maturity. In verse 15, the remnant. But the ones that fell on the good ground are those who, having heard the word with a noble and good heart, keep it and bear fruit with patience or translates as with endurance you see that's what happens when the word of god goes in your little ear hole the little seed of the word of god goes in your little tiny ear hole that's what happens i don't care how young you are i don't care how old you are but that that's what happens in the spirit realm that's what happens satan might take it away the cares the riches and pleasures of life might take it away Temptation's going to come, might take it away, but among the remnant, it doesn't go away. It stays there. It's kept there and it bears fruit, you see. And what is the fruit? It's the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit. Now let's go back to Matthew and Matthew 7. So in verse 24, whoever hears these sayings of mine, verse 26, whoever, any, everyone who hears these sayings of mine, they all hear. Except in verse 24, that's the doer. In verse 26, that's the one who does not do. Everyone who hears these sayings of mine in verse 26 and does not do them will be like a foolish man, foolish man, who built his house on the sand, you see? So, Pre-storm, you have two homes built by two hearers. One has his house on the rock. The other has his house on the sand. And everything's fine and dandy. Except something happens. Something happens. The grass starts to bend. What does that mean? The wind is coming. The grass starts to bend. All of a sudden, the bushes start to bend. Whoa, this wind is strong. Next, the trees start to bend. Whoa, this wind is very strong. Next, the trees start to break. The big trees, the thick trunk trees, they start to break because the wind is that strong. And something is exposed. What is it that is exposed? In verse 27, And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house. Remember, it, it beat on both houses. Verse 25, it beat on the house. In verse 27, it beat on the house. But in verse 27, and it fell, and great was its fall. That's what happens to the person who hears the word of God and does not do the word of God. 
That's what happens. And it is prophesied for there to be a great apostasy, a defection away from truth. What does that reveal right there? That reveals that there is a multitude of people who have built their homes on the sand. You see, times of sorrows. It's a prophetic event of the last days. And the times of sorrows will be multifaceted. The storms will come. Look at the storms that are before us already. I mean, I don't want, I don't want to turn this conversation into a financial conversation. But you look, look at inflationary tables, the real inflationary tables, not the not the uh, inflation tables that the government releases because that's there's political aspects to that. I'm talking about the consumer price index and not even the consumer price index, but the real indices that reveal the financial outlook. I used to tell people, try to live hard on 80% of your income. 80% of your income. Try really hard to live on 80% of your income. Live within your means. But now, whew, 60%, 40%. It's not a good future. And I teach from America. There's other countries that are worse. The storms are coming. The storms are here. And what do we see happening? Just as is prophesied, a famine of the word of God. The houses built on the sand, they will fall. It is prophesied, they will fall. Great will their fall be. But then as Brother Jude speaks in accordance to the Spirit, writes in accordance to the Spirit to rescue people as through fire, you see, and I just speak financially. Look at all the look at what's happening on the world stage right now. Look at what is happening. Yeah, earthquakes after earthquakes. I mean, big ones: seven point two in Haiti, six point nine Alaska. At last there was a seven point something in the Atlantic, and then you know, in the a couple weeks ago, the Philippines seven point something. Big ones. Oh, that's just, it's global warming, global warming. It's prophesied. The, the earth will warm, but it's also judgment. You cannot stop. You cannot stop the things that are prophesied. They will come to pass. Very, very perilous times. The saints, the remnant of these last days, store your oil. Store your oil because it's going to get darker and darker and darker. And there will be a famine of the word of God. Learn to make bread. And I'm not speaking about in the flesh. Be a Berean. When I say learn to make bread, be a Berean. Study the Bible. Understand the Bible. You're seeing in Western cultures, in Western lands, you're seeing what's happening. Churches have been shut down, and so they're going to an online platform. And these online platforms, they're being shut down. Hate speech, they're being shut down. And so what does it say of those flocks? What's going to happen to those flocks? Travel, interstate travel is being limited. Everyone's, oh, you know, we're not going to allow interstate travel. This is a proposal, and I teach from America. We're not going to allow interstate travel unless somebody has, unless everybody has the, the vaccine. Now, the vaccine is one thing, but these are baby steps to deeper things, government mandates. 
Government mandates to put something inside of your body. Prophetically speaking, there will be a government mandate to put a mark on your hand or forehead. Very perilous times that we're living in. Pastors? Pastors. Biblical pastors, not the wolves that need to be killed. Metaphysically speaking. Pastors, shepherds, servants of our master. Have plans in place to take your fellowship underground. Have plans in place now to take your fellowship underground because when things go dark, boom, activate. Very, these storms are here. And just as Jesus Christ says, you know, the rains descended, the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house and it did not fall. Those are the ones who hear the word of God and do the word of God. But the ones who hear the word of God and don't do, their houses will fall. And great will their fall be. You see? And so we get back to our study in 2 Corinthians chapter 13. And Paul says this in verse 5. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you are disqualified. He says that to the remnant, unless indeed you are reprobate or rejected or cast away or unapproved. Now, to prevent that from happening, you have to be a hearer of the sayings of our Lord. The word became flesh, the full counsel of the word of God, Genesis to Revelation. And everything you learn in your study, in our Bible studies, in your private time, in your own personal studies, everything you learn, you apply, you do. You hear, you read, and you do. You do that, and it will be safe for you. It will be safe for your soul. When the storm comes, your house will be left standing. I mean, what we just read, what's complicated about that? It's, it's pretty simple. What's com- There's really nothing complicated. It's, it's like, you know, I mean, you, we look at this, it's like, wow, Lord, is that is that really all I got to do? Is that it, Lord? Yes, that's it. Because he's the one who says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Those are his words, not mine. I'm just the messenger. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's what he says. Now, it's the money preachers and the false teachers among the false brethren, even servants of Satan who like to complain. Oh, you want to be a believer? Okay, memorize these catechisms. Memorize this. I just want to know for sure. I just want to know for sure that you know exactly what you're doing. Now, let me tell you something. When I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, I had no idea what I was getting involved with. No idea. But I knew that I believed. And I fell deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper in love with him. I had no idea what I was getting into. All I knew is that I believed he was the son of the most high. And I wanted him. I didn't didn't know the catechisms. I didn't need to memorize this. I didn't need to memorize that. The pastor says, oh, I just do that because I want these people to know exactly what they're getting into. Who knows what they're getting into? Peter didn't know what he was getting into. Jesus Christ even said... He withheld certain things because they didn't know what they were getting. He knew, but he didn't tell them yet. Look at Paul. Did he know what he was getting into? Who who in the Bible knows exactly what they're getting? Did Moses know what he was getting into? Who in the Bible knows what they're getting into? 
you know, Peter, you know, here, memorize these catechisms. By the way, you're going to die. You're going to be a, a martyr. Stephen, here, you know, memorize these catechisms. By the way, you're going to be stoned. Nobody knows what they're getting into in the Bible. So why is it that we impose? I say we, speaking of the church, Christians, which will enter judgment and judgment. Remember, judgment begins in the house of God. Why is it that we place all these things in place? Okay, if you want to be a Christian, I want, I mean, I've seen kids, like teenagers, they have to write this big old report and give like a big old speech in front of the church. I'm accepting Jesus Christ because of, and you know, recite all these different things. What? Where, where do you see that in the Bible? You know why that's happening today? Because you have defunct pastors who refuse to pour into the saints. Either they refuse to pour in, they can't pour into the saints. Either that or they can't pour into the saints because there's no power. There's nothing to pour into. There's nothing that's pouring into them. I've had pastors tell me, how come, how come you don't take a membership? How come you don't have like an application for membership? You know, anybody who comes in the door, pour into them. Why do you, why do you have this membership application? Some of those church applications, like, you know, you're like applying for a mortgage. How much money you make and how much this, how much do you devote to tithe and how long you've been a Christian and all these things. And okay, so the pastor says, oh, I, I need to know who I'm going to be accounted, accounted, accountable to, who I need to hold in an account to. I want to know who, who I need to pour into. You see? Where is that in the Bible? Where is that in the Bible? Where do you see Paul taking these applications when he says, only Luke is with me, Demas has left me? You see, Paul, Demasi filled out an application. Luke filled out an application to be part of Paul's bubble. No, no, pastors, pastors, remnant pastors in these last days. Let the Holy Spirit establish your church membership. Let the Holy Spirit establish your church membership and it will be well for you and it will be well for them. When you teach the Bible like it's nobody's business. Genesis to Revelation, the full counsel of the word of God. And Paul says here in verse 5, Do you not know that Jesus is in Jesus Christ is in you unless indeed you are disqualified? Now, you can look at that and read that and be like, whoa, that's scary. And yes, it is scary. But the Bible teaches us how to not be disqualified. You have to be a hearer and a doer of the word. You see? You're a first grader, okay, let's finger paint. You're a second grader, okay, let's learn, you know, how to spell. Third grade, you know, let's learn multiplication. Baby steps. You see? And then in verse, and then you get into, you know, deeper things, okay, you know, it's in those moments when you get into, remember, knowledge is a gift of the Holy Spirit. And when you reach this level of knowledge, a certain, not that there's a, a mark for it, but how the Spirit leads, you're going to reach a level of knowledge and the Lord's going to say, okay, now I'm going to use you. I'm going to send you out. You go over here. Say this to this person. You say, well, I, I, how can I say that to that person? Because I don't even, I don't know this. And You do know it's a gift of the Holy Spirit. When you mature, fifth grade, sixth grade, seventh, 
eight, nine, <laughs> eight, nine, ten, you know, higher learning, higher academia, spiritually speaking. And you do know as a gift of the Holy Spirit. And the Lord says, okay, I'm going to send you. Now you're a messenger. I'm going to use you as a messenger. And, you know, if the Lord told Peter, like, you know, Peter became a believer and, you know, Peter, you're going to die. Do you think Peter would have walked with him? No, I don't want to die. But when his own maturity in Christ, it's almost like a pleasure to die for the name of the Lord. I shouldn't say it's almost. It is. Historically, what happened, Peter was going to be put on a cross like Jesus Christ. And he counted himself as unworthy to, be, to die in the same manner. So he requested that he be hung upside down. And so he died upside down, nailed to a cross as his Lord, our Lord. You see? What was different in Peter? Same Peter. I mean, you look at him, same Peter. But there's something different about him. What is it? His own maturity, his understanding, and his desire to die. Same with Paul. To live is Christ, to die is gain. These are understandings that come with maturity. The false teachers in these last days, what happens is they want to, oh, you, you have to understand this and this and this, the catechism, this, catechism, that. Who knows what they're getting into when they receive Jesus Christ? Now, I don't mean that to scare you. I don't mean that to scare you either. Remember in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, or in 4, chapter 4. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 8, he says, You are already full. You are already full. That's the, that's the field. Remember, we make this distinction between field and worker. And to the field, he says, You are already full. You are already rich. You have reigned as kings without us. That's you, Corinthian saints. That's the field. That's the building. But then of himself and his entourage, he says in verse 13, being defamed, we entreat, we have been made as the filth of the world, the offscoring of all things, or the scum of the earth, is how it translates. You, you guys are like kings. Us, we're scum, we're trash, we're filth. And so don't be afraid. When I say these things, like, you know, who knows what they're getting into? Don't think like, man, you know, what am I getting into? No. When you're at the field, it is beautiful. It is beautiful. You're like kings. Workers isn't, you know, the Lord, if the Lord takes you from field to worker, that's the Lord's business. That's between you and him. He can certainly do that. And he does do that. But that's between you and him. But the field is beautiful. The worker, beautiful. A lot of these teachers, they do it wrong. It's not the formula. Remember blue juice and the puff. No blue juice and no puff. That's not the formula. And so we see this in verse 6. But I trust that you will know that we are not disqualified. Now, this is future tense. Remember, the letter hasn't been sent yet. It's like when you when you draft an email, you draft the email and then you got to hit send first. Otherwise, if you don't hit send, it's not going to be sent. 
Same thing here with 2 Corinthians. This is the second letter. It's got to be, it hasn't been sent yet. And he says, I trust you will know that we are not disqualified. That's that example in the beginning. Remember the example where you and me, we go back in time and we're so desperate to become fourth graders. We don't know who do we listen to? Who do we listen to? Paul gets up on his little platform and says, hey, listen to me. I'm pouring, I want to present you as a chaste virgin to your husband, capital H, the bridegroom. And he also adds in there, I trust that you will know that we are not disqualified. I don't want to listen to the grave soaker. You tell me, I don't want to listen to the mark of the beast guy. I don't want to listen to the replacement the theology guy. I don't want to read these coalition books. No, that's garbage. That's mess. That's anathema to Christ. I don't want to read that. Let's, let's burn them. Let's get rid of them. And we're reading this letter of Paul. And somebody reads it in the front of the church. He says, I trust that you will know that we are not disqualified. We look at each other and nod. Yep, he's not disqualified. He is not disqualified. Remember, all the teachers, a lot of baby teachers. A lot of baby teachers, some defunct and some serpents. Who are we going to listen to? In verse 7, now I pray to God that you do no evil, not that we should appear approved. I love this so much because it's not to save face. It's not for looks. He's not saying to the saints, hey, you do no evil. I pray to God that you do no evil so that I can look cool, so that I can, I can be an influencer on social media. Hey, you guys, you do good so that, you know, I can be an influencer on social media, get all my freebies from the, you know, the all the social media platforms. I can have all this wealth and influence and do the commercials and get on TV shows and do all this and make all this money. And you guys do good so that I can look cool. You guys do good so that I can take these selfies of me with my Bible, take these selfies of me praying, and take these selfies of me doing good things in the community. That's all, it's, it's, it's all a facade. It's all fake. He's saying... Do, I pray that you do no evil, not that we should appear approved. It's not to save face, not to save face at all, which is a problem in the church today. You know, there's, you know, sometimes you see the major improprieties in churches today and the pastor, instead of getting things right with the Lord, what do they do? They try to save face, sweep it under the rug. Oh, this pastor is an embezzler. Oh, look, let's, let's, let's put it under the rug. Let's forget about it. Let's hide this. They have they pay big money to these uh, 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 like internet like specialists to like hide all these things to remove all these meta tags and all that. they hide everything so it can't be found. They pay big money for that all to save face and they stand in the pulpit. Hey, you guys, I want you to do good. I want you to do good. Don't I don't want you guys to sin? Why? So they can save face. That's why when really what the people are doing, they're trying to apply what is written in Hebrews 13 and what is written in Hebrews in 13 verse 17, obey those who rule over you and be submissive for they watch out for your souls. Now, sheep and lambs, they do that to pastors. But the problem when they're not Bereans or the problem when they're babies is that they do that to either uh, defunct pastors. They, I'm doing my air quotes. They do that to baby teachers or they do that to wolves or they do that to ministers of Satan. 
And so the guy, the preacher guy stands there. Oh, you know, I don't want you to, I don't want you guys to sin. I don't want you to do bad. I don't want you to do bad. Why? Because he wants to look cool. He wants to save face. He wants to be an influencer. He wants to take pictures of himself at the pulpit with this mass multitude of people. All the special effects, everything looks nice. Nice little video production, all these little things so they can look cool. That's what's happening today. You know, he said like, okay, he's, he's explaining this overboard. Am I really? Because it's happening. I'm just explaining what I see. This is happening today. And Paul says this. I mean, let me just say this too. If you're a parishioner, you're a pew Christian. You're in the field. You're like the kings that was mentioned in 1 Corinthians 4. Not the worker. And Hebrews 13, verse 17, Obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for, for they watch out for your souls. Now, if you submit yourself to a pastor, make sure that he's a biblical pastor. Not the mark of the beast guy. Not the grave soaker guy. Not the glitter Holy Spirit guy. Not the coalition guy. Replacement theology. Not the crazy love guy who does the grave soaking. Not the until unity guy who is in cahoots with the grave soakers. You see? Not the money preachers. Make sure. This is a beautiful passage. Chapter 13, verse 17 of Hebrews. It's such a beautiful passage to obey those who rule over you and be submissive for they watch out for your souls. It's a very, very beautiful passage. But my word of caution to you, my beloved, my word of caution to you is whoever it is that you submit yourself to, make sure they are a shepherd as outlined in the word of God. And they teach Genesis to Revelation. The good, the bad, and the ugly. The difficult passages. Remember, like we studied in 1 Corinthians, there were some difficult passages. I mean, several weeks of like, you know, like I wanted to say like when we were done with verse chapter 4, I wanted to say, okay, everybody put on your seatbelts. Put on your seatbelts because it's going to be rough. Because it was rough. You say, oh, yeah, I submit myself to my pastor, my pastor, Pastor Jennifer. Wrong. That's not biblical. Pastors must always be male, male headship, male covering, Old Testament, New Testament, male covering. You see, you have to be a Berean. Make your bread. Learn to make bread. You see, and store your oil because things will go dark. And if you're a pastor... A biblical pastor, a shepherd, a servant of our master. Have plans for underground in place. Anywhere you are in the world. I used to say, you know, if you're in these hot spots, you know, if you're over here, you know. No, anywhere in the world. If you're a pastor, have underground plans in place. Because things are going to go dark and it's going to get darker and darker and darker and darker. And they may pull the plug on these platforms. But when you have a plan in place, it's okay. We're going to meet by a tree. We're going to meet over here in the forest. We're going to meet in our cars over here. We're going to meet underneath this bridge. We're going to meet over here and have several locations, several plans. Because in the last days, as people are becoming apostate, entering apostasy, you might have a group of 50 people, a group of 30 people. But as these 30, 
might become 25 because the five, they now defect away from truth. And it's dangerous now that they know where you meet. Now it's dangerous for the rest of the bunch. So it's okay. Location number two. You see? Location number three, location number four. Have these plans in place, pastors. Because the sheep, the lambs, they must be fed. They must be cared for. They must be protected. Going back to 2 Corinthians chapter 13, in closing, he says in verse 7, Now I pray to God that you do no evil, not that we should appear approved. It's not to save face, not so Paul can look cool. He says, but that you should do what is honorable. No, do, just like we looked at Matthew 7, not be a hearer and not doer, be a hearer and doer, but that you should do what is honorable. Translates as what is beautiful, good, and praiseworthy. You see? Now, in order to do what is beautiful, good, and praiseworthy, do you know the condition of our hearts? The condition of our minds? That, like Paul says, inspired of the Spirit, the same Spirit. He says, whatever things are true, noble, just, pure, lovely, of good report, virtuous, and praiseworthy, meditate on these things. That's a beautiful mind. Don't be thinking about the drugs. Don't be thinking about the sex, the pornography, the strippers, the drugs, the occult, the Ouija boards, Buddha, Mary. No, whatever things are virtuous and praiseworthy, noble, of good report, lovely and true and just and pure. When your mind is such, your hands and feet will follow. And that's what's so beautiful. He says, do, in verse 7, no evil. And then still in verse 7, do what is honorable. Though we may seem disqualified. Very interesting. So here in verse 6, he says we are not disqualified. In verse 7, we may seem disqualified. Remember, he says of himself in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, we're the scum. We're the garbage. We're the filth. We're the scum, but you guys are like kings. And yes, it might seem like we're disqualified because the leaven, the leaven say, oh, he's so mean. Paul is so mean. Look, chapter 10, verse 10 of 2 Corinthians, he's so weak. He speaks all these words, but he's so weak. He's got his little noodle arms. He's such a weakling. Don't listen to him. Look, he's so mean-spirited. Look, so I did a little sex. So I did a little drug. So I did a little meth. So I did a little strip club. So I did a little occult. So I did a little Buddha stuff. But that's not love. He wants to kick me out. That's not loving. How dare? That's not gracious. He's supposed to be gracious. Nah, don't listen to him. He's crazy. He's lost his mind. He's so stupid. He's dumb. Don't listen to him. You see? And in one regard, when you see with carnal eyes, emphasis on carnal eyes, which are blind, that person can have an argument. Because there was sorrow in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. There was sorrow. But don't forget what was written to the remnant in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10. That godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation. You see? Not to be regretted or not to be, how it translates, not to be without repentance. Remember? Got to take a shower, guys. Same concept. Sin, you got a little dirty, okay, you got to take a shower. You got to repent. 
You see? You get dirty, take a shower. You do sin, you gotta repent. Same, same exact, exact, same, same. The sorrow of the world in verse 10, chapter 7, 2 Corinthians. The sorrow of the world produces death. But observe this very thing that you sorrowed in a godly manner. What diligence it produced in you. What clearing of yourselves. What indignation. What fear. What vehement desire. What zeal. What vindication. In all things you proved yourselves to be clear in this matter. And that's the beauty of repentance. And remember the statement that we made when we studied this. Not many Christians make it this far. Not many believers make it this far. Why? Because, oh, he hurt my little feelers. I do my pornography. I do my sex. And he calls me on it and says I need to repent. How dare Paul say that? I do. So what? What's wrong with a little crack? Come on now. It's the finest crack from Chiapas, Mexico. I also got some meth. It's the best. The best that money can buy. And Paul's going to get mad at me about it? Now that's worldly sorrow. That's worldly sorrow. Godly sorrow, it's the same feeling where the little feelers get hurt. But it produces repentance. Worldly sorrow produces depression, anger, outbursts of wrath. That's what worldly sorrow produces. Depression, anxiety. Godly sorrow produces repentance. You see, leading to salvation. And what is written here in chapter 7, 2 Corinthians, verse 10? Not to be regretted or not to be without repentance. Which is, you know, you get dirty, take a shower. You sin, repent. You see, it's not that we sin more and more so that grace can abound. Certainly not exclamation point. Remember our study in Romans? No, we sin less and less. We learn from our mistakes and we grow, we mature Remember what Paul says in verse uh, Second Corinthians chapter 13? What Paul says in verse 2? Hey, he says, if I come again, we're going to clean house. If I come again, he says, I write to those who have sinned before and to all the rest. That's no showers. No showers. Dirty and no shower. He says, if I come again, I will not spare. I'm not going to be lenient. If I got a clean house, we're going to clean house. You see? And as he says in verse 7, at the end, he says, though we may seem disqualified. You see, it's like, wait a second, to the carnal, to the blind, to the perishing. Oh, Paul is so mean. He's not loving, seemingly disqualified. But to you and me, remember in my example, we go back in time when we're so desperate to become fourth graders. To you and me, Paul is qualified. He wants to present us to our husband. As a chaste virgin to her husband, the bridegroom. You see, he is not. These people say he's unqualified, he's disqualified. But to you and me, a remnant that wants to go from third grade to fourth grade, we look at each other and we're like, whoa. These guys say he's disqualified, but no, he's very qualified. You see, he says this in verse 9. Or in verse 8, he says, For we can do nothing against the truth. I love this so much. We can do nothing against the truth. Bond servants never, never, ever war with the master. They yield to him. They yield to the master. 
He says we can do nothing against the truth. We have no power to do anything against the truth. It's just the opposite. It is but for the truth, he says. You see? Somebody comes in with a doctrine. Show me in the Bible. where they, Oh, the, the Holy Spirit. That was for 2,000 years ago. It's not for today. Show me. Show me where, where in the Bible. What passage? Where do you get that from? Show me. Oh, look, I read this study Bible. Alexandrian text? Yeah, wrong. <laughs> to those who have ears. <laughs> you see? Look, I can take the mark of the beast and I'll still be saved. Where in the Bible do you see that? Where? You see just the opposite. You're going to burn in hell. So why would a person advocate and teach God's flock? I mean, provided they're his flock, provided they're abiding in Christ. Why would a person teach that it is okay to take the mark of the beast and your salvation will be intact. Why? When the Bible says such a person will burn in hell and enter the lake of fire. Why? That's like the greatest trap of all time. You see? That is a messenger of Satan. Standing in a pulpit. You see? Not good. Perilous times, traps everywhere, traps everywhere. One of the scariest things I've ever done in my life is patrol through a minefield. <laughs> that was scary. Not because I'm anime. There's, you might die. You might get blown to pieces. But like you're thinking about your guys. They might get blown to pieces because of your bad step. That's probably the scariest thing I've done. One of the scariest things I've done in my life. Is patrol, be on patrol <laughs> through a minefield. <laughs> but spiritually speaking, that's what we do now. That's what the Christian has to walk through now, except it doesn't have to be a minefield. You can be wide awake. You can have eyes wide open, spiritual eyes, where you can see this is a minefield. Don't step on that. This is a minefield. I'm not going to step on that. This is a minefield and you can protect others. Don't step on that. Don't step on that because it's going to blow up and it's going to kill us all. He says in verse 8, we, we can do nothing against the truth, but for the truth. You see? Oh, but this guy says he has his study Bible. He says it's okay to take the mark of the beast and I'll still be saved. Show me in the Bible where it says that. It says just the opposite. That they'll have their part in the lake of fire. Now, would a messenger, would a servant of the master, capital M, would a servant of the master, Jesus Christ, even utter such a thing? Absolutely not. But a servant of Satan would. You see, remember, the preacher guys. Transforming it, transforming themselves. Remember chapter 11. Verse 14, no wonder, exclamation point, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing. It's not a big deal. It is no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness whose end will be according to their works. You see, when I say it's no big deal, it's a big deal. But I say, like, we shouldn't be surprised that it happens. You see? 
Oh, but he's a minister of righteousness. Look, I should go lay on this grave and the Holy Spirit was, he's a minister of righteousness. Look, the glitter is falling down. It's a minister of righteousness. Look, the crazy love guy, crazy love guy who is, you know, unity, unity, unity with the grave soakers. And that's biblical. You see, remember what Paul says, still in chapter 11, verse 19, you put up with it gladly. You put up with fools gladly. Oh, that's so mean. How dare he call them fools? Look, they're ministers of righteousness. No, they're satanic. They're demonic. They're servants of Satan. You see? And so Paul has to boast. To get the attention. Hey, don't listen to these guys. Paul says here in chapter 13, verse 8, We can do nothing against the truth, but for the truth. For we are glad when we are weak and you are strong. Remember chapter 12, verse 10, what we studied last week, when Paul says, therefore, in verse 10, chapter 12, he says, therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and in reproaches and heeds and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sakes. For when I am weak, then I am strong. It's not to say, wow, look how strong I am. Not to be inflated. Wow, look how strong. Look at my big muscles. Look at my strong, my strength. Look how strong I am. No, it's, he's immediately deflated. Because he receives, receives strength from the Lord, but he's immediately deflated because it pumps into the saints. He's a conduit. He says in verse 9, chapter 13, we are glad, for we are glad when we are, we, remember, the entourage, the holy bubble, Timothy, Titus, the next generation of pastors who are learning to be glad when these things happen, who are learning how to shepherd Little Timmy, future pastor. Little Titus, future pastor. And Paul is pouring into the saints of Corinth, but also pouring into the next generation of pastoral leadership. For we are glad when we are weak and you are strong. And this also we pray that you may be made complete. It translates in the Greek as thoroughly complete. Thoroughly repaired. Thoroughly framed. Remember the framework we studied last week about edification. Thoroughly restored, thoroughly equipped, and thoroughly perfected. That you may be made complete, he says. Therefore, in closing, I write these things being absent, lest being present, I should use sharpness. Which sharpness here is to be abrupt, to be blunt, to be impolite, to be uncivil, and to be rough. Just like we looked at in chapter 11. You guys, you put up with fools. You put up with fools gladly. Oh, Paul's so mean. He shouldn't use that language. He, sh he shouldn't say fools. What, what are they? What are they? Oh, this guy's a minister of righteousness. What? No, he's a minister of Satan. It's okay to take the mark of the beast. You'll still be saved. And that's a minister of righteousness. The Holy Spirit is in grave sites. And that's a minister of righteousness. What Bible are you reading? You see? The message He says in verse 20, chapter 11, verse 20, you put up with it. If one brings you into bondage, if one devours you, if one takes from you, if one exalts himself, if one strikes you on the face, he says, you put up with it. He says, to our shame, I say we were too weak for that. But in whatever anyone is bold, I speak foolishly, I am bold also. Verse 23, he says, are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool, I am 
more. There he goes. Look, he's exalting himself. You know, look, he, he speaks all these big words. Remember chapter 10, verse 10? He speaks all these big words. He's a little guy. He's got his, his little noodle arms. He got mad at me when I was doing my drugs. He got mad at me when I was doing my pornography. He got mad at me when I was beating on my wife. He got mad at me when I was cheating on my wife. He got mad at me when I let my kids have sex with this adult. He got mad at me when I was doing the occult. He got mad at me when I was worshiping Buddha. What in the world? What? What's happening? What's happening? And so Paul says here in chapter 13, Remember verse 2? He says, if I come again, I'm not going to spare. I'm not going to be lenient. If we got a clean house, we're going to clean house. But that's dependent on you, saints. Are you going to be a hearer and not doer? Or are you going to be a hearer and doer? That's dependent on you. You see? And so he says in verse 10, Therefore, I write these things being absent, lest being present, I should use sharpness. I don't want to use the sharpness, but if I got to use the sharpness, I will. To be abrupt, to be blunt, to be impolite, to be uncivil, and to be rough. If we, hey, if we want to go, if we got to go there, we're going to go there. Because the Lord's house must be clean. The temples must be clean. You see? He says, according to the authority which the Lord has given me for edification and not for destruction. You see, the destruction aspect, you know, in a lot of cases, Christians, we deceive ourselves. You see, if we are chastised, that's like uh, 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 in 1 Corinthians 11. In, in, in 1 Corinthians 11, in verse 31, if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, in verse 32, chapter 11, 1 Corinthians, if we are, when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord that we may not be condemned with the world. People have a misnomer. People have this idea, this concept that, okay, I, I'm never to be correct. I believe in Jesus Christ. Don't ever correct me. I believe in Jesus Christ. Let me do my crack. I believe in Jesus Christ. Let me do my pornography. I believe in Jesus Christ. Let me have my five girlfriends on the side. And by the way, I'm married. I believe in Jesus Christ. And if I don't like my first wife, I have a second wife. If I don't like her, I'll have my fifth wife. And they're not dead. They're still alive. Irreconcilable differences. I believe, but you know, let me do my gambling. So what? No big deal. Is it a small thing? How many times do you hear the prophets and the apostles, the messengers of the Lord, the servants of the Lord? They always, is it a small thing? Is it no big deal? You see, this authority is given to Paul by the Lord and it's for the edification. And remember, edify is to build up, but it's in accordance to the blueprints of the Lord, not the blueprints of this world. The blueprints of this world is hell. Straight up hell, like a fire. That's the blueprints of this world. But the blueprints of Jesus Christ, the Word of God, Genesis to Revelation, the full counsel, in the beginning was the Word, the Word, word, word was with God, and the Word was God. And according to those blueprints, Him, the one who's inside of you, if you abide in Him and He in you, the one where there's power, those blueprints. Remember, we got to get the blue juice and the puff of smoke. Not the pink juice and no puff. Not the orange juice and no puff. We got to get blue juice and the puff. And it's got to be the right tint of blue. And we got to right, do the right ingredients. We got to follow the formula.
You see? Finally, brethren, in closing, farewell. Become complete, which is a verb to become perfect. You know, how many times do you people say, oh, Christians, you guys think you're perfect. You guys think you're perfect. No, I don't think I'm perfect. But I know that I'm moving on to perfection. No, per- no, no perfection, but I'm moving on to perfection. And I say that to you as well. No, you're not perfect. But let's move on to perfection. And let's become perfect. Which means what? You and me, we got to do. Let's be not doers. Let's be doers. Let's hear what the Lord has to say to us from his word. And let's do. Let's apply. Let's not be hearers only. Not to be hearers and not doers. Let's be hearers and doers. Finally, brethren, farewell, he says in verse 11, become complete. Be perfect. Remember, uh, uh, to be uh, thoroughly complete, to be thoroughly repaired and framed and restored and equipped and perfective. Let's move on to that. Perfection. No, I'm not perfect, but I'm moving on to perfection. For you too. No, you're not perfect. But move on to perfection. Be of good comfort. Be of one mind. You see this one mind? This is biblical unity. It's not unity with the seven hills. It's not unity with the grave soakers. It's not unity with the mark of the beast takers. It's not unity with the money preachers. It's not unity with the coalition. The coalition that's replacement theology that God has done with Israel. Not unity with that. Unity with what the Bible teaches. The truth. And those who can do nothing against the truth but for the truth as is written in verse 8. That unity. That's biblical unity. Not the unity of the crazy love guy. That's crazy unity. And without repentance, that's lake of fire unity. You know, there's unity in paradise. There's also unity in the lake of fire. You choose. Live in peace, he says. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Not might be with you. Straight up will be with you. Why? Because his son is inside of you with power and he's mighty in you. That's your intimacy with him. Just as we see with Moses, just as we see with Esther, just as we see with Paul, just as we see with all these beautiful people were surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. And just as the exhortation is in Hebrews 13, since we're surrounded, or Hebrews 12, I should say, Verse 1, therefore, this is Hebrews 12, verse 1, therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight, not just a little bit of weight, not just a little tiny weight, every single weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. That Jesus, just as we mentioned earlier in our study, that Jesus. You abide in him and he in you. You see? And so we continue in 2 Corinthians chapter 13. In closing, 
verse 12, greet one another with a holy kiss. This is only for the dead. This is only for the crucified. Just as you hear us say, only the crucified can correct. No hypocrisy, no carnality. You can't correct somebody about sex and drugs when you yourself are a sex head or a drug head. That's hypocrisy. Listen to our study through Romans 2. That's not good. That's judgment. Only the crucified can correct. And I'll say this. Only the crucified can kiss. It's a holy kiss. It's beautiful. I've done it before. The majority of people I've done it before are old people. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful old saints with their, you know, wrinkly skin is like leather. Beautiful, beautiful old people with their wrinkles. You can barely see their eyes because they're wrinkling over. It's so beautiful. Beautiful warriors in Christ. Oh my goodness, do they pray? They pray, they study. Only the crucified can correct and only the crucified can kiss. A holy kiss, not a carnal kiss. If you're alive in Adam, don't do this. But you're dead in Christ and also alive in Christ. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Remember, this is to the remnant. All the saints greet you. This is the family. Just like we study on Wednesday. It just so happens that we study this on Wednesday. Blood relatives and the better relatives in accordance to the blood of Jesus Christ. Real family. You see? Paradise family. Verse 14, last verse. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion or the koinonia of the Holy Spirit. Look what we see here. We see Elohim, just like Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning, Elohim. That's what we see here. Elohim in verse 14. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Elohim, the triune nature of God. Verse 14, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, Son, and the love of God, Father, and the communion or the koinonia of the Holy Spirit, Spirit, Elohim, Elohim, be with you all, the remnant of Corinth. You see? Amen, he says. And this closes our study for now of the church in Corinth and what a ride it's been. We've seen the ups, the downs, the goods, the bads, the uglies. Do you remember when we started our study through 1 Corinthians and I said I have a love-hate relationship with the Corinthian saints and I love them, I love them, I love them, but I also hate the sin. There's a lot of nasty, disgusting sin that we just... Remember how, you know, chapter 4, I want... 1 Corinthians 4, I want to put on your seatbelt because chapter 5, 6, 7, 8... From here on out, it's a doozy. It's a doozy. And if you've listened thus far, if you've made it this far, <laughs> and you know how many times you hear us say, like, you know, most Christians don't make it this far. And here we are. We've come to the conclusion, 2 Corinthians chapter 13. And at the end, he says, amen. We've come to the end. And I say, amen. And I pray you too can also say, amen. And what a ride it's been. This understanding of 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, it will help you tremendously in your walk with Christ. 
It will help you tremendously go from that third grade example into fourth grade example. And when you apply the word of God, what you've learned in first and second Corinthians in your studies through Galatians and Ephesians and Philippians and Colossians and all through the entirety of the New Testament, the Gospels and the entirety of the Old Testament. It will help you tremendously with this base plate of understanding the contrast between baby and adult or baby and moving on to completion. And then also field and worker. You see, it will help you in your walk with Christ as you grow and mature and look unto him, the author and perfecter of your faith. And so we run together. To the beautiful people of the way, God bless you. I love you.